0: Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabical and Waramai people. I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live.
1: Welcome to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. Newcastle Library's Heritage Collection contains more than 440,000 items in various formats from Meryl Portraits and Snowball's Plate Glass Negatives to the original Menzies Declaration and the Creer and Berkeley Archive of Subdivision Maps. A wide range of Newcastle's stories are presented in the Library's Heritage Collection. Join us as we explore one piece from the Library's fascinating Rare Book Room.
2: Welcome to Love Lampton series as part of Treasures from the Rare Book Room. In this episode, we'll be discussing the overall history of Lambton prior to World War II with local historian and author Julie Keating and Robert Watson. Julie has written many books on the suburbs of Newcastle and is a second-generation Lambton resident. This chat is inspired by the love of Lambton community for their suburb and its ongoing longevity. They'll be joined by Kerry Shaw, our heritage collections and digitalisation specialist at Newcastle Libraries.
3: In the early 1840s, the Scottish Australian Mining Company was formed in London with the aim of investing in the new colony of New South Wales. One of their investments was an area of coal-bearing land located about six miles from Newcastle. Coal samples proved to be very promising and a new colliery was established in 1861.
4: Yesterday morning, a consignment of twenty hopper wagons for the Lambton Colliery were placed into a lighter for the purpose of being landed on the wharf. But no berth being vacant, the lighter had to go to an anchor on the sand spit, in consequence of a strong fresh running in the channel. Both their anchors were let down, and everything made apparently snug. The men in charge came ashore for about an hour, during which time the craft broke adrift and proceeded out to sea. Yesterday morning, the lighter and wagons were discovered breached on the side of the northern breakwater. The lighter was in pieces, but the wagons seemed to have fallen through her bottom and then left standing.
3: Initial work was done by Robert Moorhead and Matthew Young to build a railway line to transport coal to the port of Newcastle. Thomas Crowdis, a mining engineer, was appointed mine manager. He arrived from England in 1862. Within 12 months, the first coal mined at the colliery had been transported to the port.
4: The district around here is just now in a fair state of prosperity, and business people of all classes appear to be thriving. As an instance of the better state of things prevailing among the miners, I may mention that one dealer at Lambton has sold no less than 17 sewing machines, and that quantity of new furniture that I see daily is astonishing. The miners, now having the opportunity, have taken to set up housekeeping in earnest, discarding all the fixed bedsteads made of gum saplings for polished four-posters, throwing away all of the three-legged stools or benches made of split ironbark slabs for well-made and nice-looking chairs.
3: By 1867, the mine had produced 180,000 tonnes and employed 230 miners. Record output of 225,000 tonnes was reached in the early 1880s, and for this, Lambton was recognised as the largest and most efficient colliery in the Southern Hemisphere. The peak workforce of over 500 miners was reached in 1889, but a decade later, the mine started to decrease production. This was due to the declining demand for coal and the rapidly expanding coal fields around Cessnock. Lambton Colliery closed in 1936 and its existence slowly faded away. Buildings demolished, equipment removed, pits filled in, new streets laid out, housing erected and rail lines ripped up. The final disappearing act in 1966 was when the rail bridges over Howe Street and Hobart Road were torn down. The only visible evidence of the mine today are shadowy remnants, the open space of Lewis Oval, the slight dip in Hobart Road, the funny little kink in Howe Street where the railway bridges once were, and a drain culvert at the western end of Newt Lambton Park over which the railway once ran.
4: Thomas Crowdus Crowdus was
2: born in 1838 into an English coal mining family. At the age of just 23, he was sent to Australia to be the manager of a new coal mine operated by the Scottish Australian Mining Company. To this colliery, Crowdus gave the name Lambton in honour of John Lambton, the Earl of Durham, who had personal and business connections with the Crowdus family back in England. The Lambton name went on to be used by several collieries, townships and suburbs. Crowder's skill as a mining manager was unparalleled, guiding the Lambton Colliery to commercial success over 44 years. He introduced innovative mining technologies and was committed to keeping a close rein on the costs of production, often with a very hands-on approach. An example of this occurred in 1867. When miners
4: accidentally dropped a bucket down a shaft they were digging. Notwithstanding that there was some 12 feet of water in the shaft, Mr Crowdoff coolly descended and by letting himself down through the water to the bottom, he succeeded in recovering the bucket. This act is regarded here as a very daring one.
2: Crowdoff's commitment to the local community was also unstinting. He served many years as alderman on both Lambton and New Lambton councils, sometimes on both at the same time, and was elected as mayor on a number of occasions. His interest in New Lambton council was due to the fact that Lambton Colliery and Lambton Lodge, his residence, were located within the boundaries of the New Lambton municipality. He was a generous man, both personally to those in need and in his capacity as mine manager. He gifted land and resources to the community for churches, parks and other public benefits. Thomas Crowdis was instrumental in the founding of Lambton Park and there is an inscription to him on the memorial gates facing Moorhead Street that reads, Thomas Crowdis, Mayor, founder of this park. Lambton Park began to be developed as a recreation ground around 1877. Progress was slow as some early residents had built their homes on the park site. Cheap housing sites in the new subdivision between Pearson and Kendall Streets were arranged for financial compensation. The physical relocation of their houses was undertaken using horses to move the structures on rollers to their new site. Lambton Park is still in use today. With its impressive rotunda and extensive facilities, it is one of the iconic attractions of Lambton. Thomas Crowders as mine manager represented the interest of commerce and industry. Although he would often be in dispute and disagreement with the miners and the unions, it seems that they often respected his character. On the occasion of his 70th birthday in 1936, Matthew Charlton, a miner and later a union leader and Labor Party parliamentarian, reminisced on the actions of Thomas Crowdos during a miners' strike.
4: About seven o'clock, the manager of the colliery, the late Mr Thomas Crowdos, mounted on a fine horse, came down the hill on the other side. There was a rush across the railway to meet him. To the surprise of everyone, he continued straight towards them. At last, he halted and was at once surrounded by a threatening body. He kept his horse circling in a ring, tendering sound advice at the same time until, from a menacing altitude, the crowd became subdued and reasonable. One could not help admiring the courage he displayed. Due to ill health, Thomas Crowdus retired from active
2: work in nineteen o four. Two years later, he died in his residence at New Lambton Heights and was buried in Sandgate Cemetery. His funeral was attended by a large crowd of mourners, many of whom represented the mining, shipping and commercial interests of Newcastle.
4: Electric Lights When I first came to Lambton, the streets were so bad that you could almost bury yourselves in them, and I am now very pleased to see that such a change, both in the streets and other matters. I now have much pleasure in switching on the electric light to light up the streets of the town.
3: These are the words of Mrs Dent, the mayoress of Lampton. She was speaking on the 9th of September 1890 from a specially erected platform on the hill near the top of Moorhead Street. Lambton was the first township in Newcastle to have electric street lighting, and it was caused For a great celebration in Lambton Park, the electric plant station was located in High Street, and the generators powered a total of 160 street lamps, as well as lighting up the post office, council chambers, hotels, stores, and dwellings. The day's festivities ended with a banquet in the Criterion skating rink in Moorhead Street, which was fittingly illuminated by 30 electric lights. Although the lights were a technical success. Sadly, they were a financial disaster. Low connection rates from residents left the council struggling to pay off the construction loans. Residents were very pleased to have street lighting, but they were afraid to install electricity in their homes due to safety concerns. In 1899, the bank seized control of the station, and put the equipment up for sale. Three aldermen were jailed for contempt of court relating to loan repayments.
4: The mayor and two other aldermen of Lambton, who were arrested on Saturday morning for non payments of fines of £10 each imposed by the Supreme Court for contempt, still remain in the Newcastle lockup. An application has been made to the controller of prisons by the local police officers for their removal to Maitland Jail, as the accommodation at the lockup is inadequate.
3: The lights were decommissioned and the generating equipment dismantled and sold off by 1904 electric lighting eventually returned to lambton in 1921 september 2020 was the 125th anniversary of electric light in the town and a timely reminder to appreciate how electricity barring the occasional storm lights up our homes streets and parks
4: matthew charlton
2: Matthew Charlton, who lived in Lambton for most of his life, rose to prominence in the Australian Labor Party to become Federal Opposition Leader. He was born in 1866 near Ballarat in Victoria, but moved with his family to Lambton at the age of seven. He attended Lambton Public School, then at age 14 commenced work in the Waratah Colliery. There is some uncertainty about Matthew Charlton's first employment at Lambton Colliery, Some reports state that he began work at the pit top, then progressed to an underground job as a wheeler before moving to a job at the coalface. Other reports state that he began work as a trapper. A newspaper report of an accident at Richmond Main Colliery in January 1935 describes the trapper's
4: job. Trappers in a colliery are the youths who are in charge of the doors which are placed in underground workings as part of the ventilation system, and their chief duty is to open the doors to permit the passage of skips, the small trucks in which coal is brought from the working face to the surface. Charlton worked in various mining
2: jobs and became involved in union politics and leadership. He was a member of the executive of the Colliery Employees Federation and often prepared cases for the arbitration court. When he resigned from his position to enter politics, one of his fellow board members stated,
4: I am sorry to lose his aid as a colleague, but I feel satisfied that he will be able to do more for the Miners in Parliament than out of it. I will be surprised, from what I know of his abilities and of his sound judgement, if he does not rise to a very high position in the estimation of the People's Representative in Parliament. In
2: 1903, he won the seat of Waratah in the New South Wales Legislative Assembly and switched to federal politics in 1910. He won the seat of Hunter and later became Leader of the Opposition. After serving in this position for six years, he resigned from federal politics in 1928. Charlton then took an interest in local government and served as Alderman on Lambton Council from 1934 to 38. During this time, he was involved in one of the biggest controversies in the history of Lambton Council. It seems that he had engaged builders to make an addition to his home without gaining the necessary council approval. The council then decided to make an example of Mr Charlton and also a Mr Gibbs and prosecute them for violating the building ordinance. In the ensuing public discontent over this action, a vote of no confidence in the council was passed at a public meeting and seven of the nine aldermen resigned from council. Four of the resigning aldermen immediately put themselves forward as candidates in the ensuing by-election, with three of them being re-elected along with four new aldermen. Charlton continued to live in the house he had built in High Street in 1905. When constructed, the house made use of the most up-to-date materials and latest trends were incorporated in its design. As testament to its quality, this home still stands today. Charlton moved to Chilcot Street in the 1930s and is one of a small cohort who have served at all three levels of government, local, state and federal. Charlton was an active participant in the Lambton community and a patron of organisations such as the Mechanics Institute and the Bowling Club. He had an interest in local history, presenting a talk in 1937 to the Newcastle and Hunter District Historical Society on the early days of Lambton. Matthew Charlton died in December 1948,
4: aged 82 and was buried at Sandgate. Mechanics Institute. Reading room, subscription, three shillings and sixpence per quarter.
3: This simple notice in the window of the building, still there today, speaks of both the beginning and the end of the Lambton Mechanics Institute. By 1865, Lambton had a primary school for children, but for adults there were few avenues for further education. Out of this need, the Lambton Mechanics Institute was founded. At the opening of their first building on Howe Street in 1867, President of the Institute, Thomas Crowdus, put a high priority on reading – he expressed the intention of the committee to obtain all the major English and local newspapers and to establish a lending library for the benefit of members. Membership grew and in 1885 the committee erected a second weatherboard hall on House Street that was variously used as a reading room or a billiards room. The original building was demolished in 1892 due to its poor condition. The foundation stone for a new building was laid in 1894 by the Minister for for Education, Frank B. Sart-Sutor, and Thomas Crowdis, President of the Institute. The brick and stone building in Elder Street, constructed at a cost of 573 pounds, had a library and games room on the ground floor and a large area reading room on the upper floor. Once the institute began operating from its new premises, the weatherboard hall in Howe Street was leased out to various groups. This continued until 1903, when the hall was relocated to the rear of the Elder Street building, where it still sits today.
4: The structure weighs about 20 tonnes and was removed bodily by the contractor, Mr Hoy, without any damage whatever. It was done with the aid of a team of bullocks and wheels and tackle lent by the president, Mr. F. Kraudos. Thomas Krautus' son, who also provided iron rods for staying purposes.
3: Although the Mechanics Institute had social and leisure aspects to it, its principal contribution was in providing to the townspeople quality reading materials for a subscription cost, and it was cost that brought the end. When Newcastle Council opened their library across the road in 1950 and offered free lending, the Institute's paid subscription model could not compete. Membership dwindled away. The Mechanics Institute as an organization has gone, but their building remains, now home to the Newcastle Family History Society and the MG Car Club, and a beautiful adornment to the Lambton landscape.
2: Doctor Hill. Dr. Hill was Lambton's first resident doctor. He came to the district in eighteen sixty eight and soon after constructed a residence and surgery in Elder Street. At various times he was the appointed medical officer for Lambton, New Lambton and Waratah Collieries and he was an honorary surgeon at the Newcastle Hospital. Dr
4: Hill and his assistants, worse luck, have been more than usually busy lately as fever has been very prevalent and I'm sorry to say shows but small sign of abating though happily but few cases have terminated fatally. Among the rest of the arduous and delicate duties appertaining to the profession of medicine in the large and populous coal mining district that Dr Hills had to attend, and which have given convincing proofs of his talent and capacity, have been several cases of amputation all attended with great success. But it was not just
2: medical matters that occupied the doctor's time. He was also a real estate developer and coal mining investor. In 1874, he was one of the instigators of the Australasian Coal Company, whose mining lease was in the Winding Creek area near Cardiff. He was a major shareholder and served as the founding director of the company. He also privately purchased 40 acres of land adjacent to the mine in order to develop a township with over 340 residential allotments. This side investment brought Dr Hill into conflict with the other company directors and as the colliery spiralled into bankruptcy a bitter war of words was ranged against Dr Hill. In October 1877 this dispute culminated in a policy stating that the Australasia Company will not employ any man who is residing at Hillsborough, Dr Hill's township. He was actively involved in many aspects of the local community. He served as an alderman on Lambton Council for six years and was elected mayor
4: on three occasions. Some time ago, Dr Hill, Mayor of Lambton, wrote to the government asking that water should be conveyed up the Lambton, New Lambton and Waratah Railways free of charge. On Friday, he received an answer complying to the request. At the same time, the Commissioner for Railways expresses an opinion that the people should make better provision for catching water, and that the present scarcity has been brought about by the carelessness of the people. He fails to see why the government should be put to the trouble and expense of conveying water to people by rail who are too improvident to conserve the water which falls from the heavens for their use. Dr.
2: Hildes died in December 1882, aged just thirty-nine. Besides the suburb of Hillsborough being named after him, some sources suggest his name is also perpetuated in Hill Street, North Lambton. There is some doubt about this as the first mention of Hill Street in Trove is dated 1872. As Dr Hill only arrived in Lambton in 1868, it seems a little unusual that he would have a street named in his honour after just four years, although given his influential position in the community, it is possible. We hope you enjoyed our first instalment of the Love Lampton series as part of Treasures from the Rare Book Room. Stay tuned for more.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. To access and browse Newcastle Library's collections, please visit our website at newcastle.nsw.gov.au library. To view our heritage collection, just Google Hunter Photobank. The online collection is constantly being added to as items are digitised and loaded, so be sure to visit often.
0: This has been a Newcastle Library's Real Production.